Good morning, good morning. Well, we're, we're glad you guys made it out. Uh, first thing, we had the time change last night, so um, I'm sure there's somebody here that did not set their clock ahead. Um, well, they're not, that's like they wouldn't actually be here. So, yes, they didn't set their clocks. <laughs> um, and we had the snow this morning, but we are thankful that you guys came out this morning. Welcome. Um, we get to lift our voices in praise again to our, our amazing, amazing God. So we ask that you'd help us this morning because our numbers seem to be a little low this morning. So we need to hear you singing this morning and singing loud. 
Lift your voice in praise this morning.
How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine? Who could imagine? So great a mercy. What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin. My shame, the cross has spoken, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion. Declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yo! Jesus, yours is the victory. Let's lift your voices. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. 
God, you are our living hope. We thank you so much that you're a God that's interested in changing us, Lord, that we were once blind and now we can see, Lord, we were in the darkness and now you've shone the light for us. We thank you for your son, Lord. We thank you for the gift that happened at Calvary. We thank you for the access we have to you through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for your nature. We're so thankful that you're the type of God that didn't leave us where we were in the filth and the muck, Lord, that you called us out that you made it so there was no power over sin anymore through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you for changing us day by day, Lord, for sanctifying us. Thank you, Lord. Kingdom Kids, you guys are dismissed. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountain of God and your judgments are like a great deep. And O Lord, you preserve man and beast and how precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you give them the drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see the light.
Good to see you. You made it. <laughs> Who's demolished a wall this morning? Nobody else demolished a wall this morning? Ah. Well, every time it snows, we get a wall of snow at the end of our drive. And uh, because we're on a corner, and our drive is just after the corner, we get double, a double blessing, a double portion. So um, if I'm a bit creaky, it's because I was out shoveling heavy wet snow at about seven o'clock this morning but there we go um wow what fantastic truths we've been singing um don't really need the sermon do we we've just sung sung a lot of stuff we're going to read the bible and then who needs a sermon because the bible speaks for itself um but there we are you've got to have a sermon anyway (laughs) now got to find my gizmo here here we go I'm hoping if I press this, something's going to appear. Oh, there it is. Well now, every good sermon has to have reference to films in this church. And of course, there's one, but is it what we automatically think? Was it a James Bond film that was called You Only Die Once? Oh, yes. But there was one that was called You Only Live Twice. And actually, there's some truth in that, and there's lots of truth in You Only Live Twice. So we go to James Bond for our theology today. (laughs) This was not a James Bond film. It was a spoof on a James Bond film. I haven't actually seen it, but apparently that's what it is. It's a spoof. If you don't know what a spoof is, it's... It, do you know what a spoof is? Do you have that? You, right, fine. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and I've adapted it a little bit. You only die once. Probably. If your name was Lazarus, um, you might question that. You only die once. I'm going to read from John chapter 11. And I'm going to read the story of Lazarus. Now, it's quite long, but I'm going to read it. And I'm not going to miss bits out. And if you're familiar with it, just let it wash through your heart and mind again. If you're not familiar with it, this is a story of something that actually happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth. He had some friends uh, and something happened in the family, this family. And this is literally what happened. Okay, so don't take this as just a myth. This is actual fact. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, 
No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, let's go also so that we may die with him. I love Thomas. (laughs) Always a skeptic, pour cold water on everything. But he believed eventually. Sorry, that's not in the text. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Now this passage gets me because it's truth. It's not sadness, it's hope and it's truth and it's real. So you have to pardon me if I lose it. Um, Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. We'll untangle that stuff in a minute. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but it was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. Now, I know that was long, but it's fantastic truth that we're going to ponder over this morning. Let's just pray. Lord, we've been singing about you being the author of life. We've been singing about you taking our death, bearing our shame, wearing our sin. And we've been declaring that death has no longer a hold on us. And we thank you that that's true. Help us as we unpack that this morning. Help us as we try to apply this to our lives to see you afresh. Lord, we want to go home inspired, encouraged, fed spiritually, and glorifying you. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to relate what I'm going to say about Lazarus, I'll pop that down there for a moment, to the book that we're studying in the home groups. If you're in a home group, you may have been studying this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and the boss has referred to it for years and years and years. So we, we're all familiar with it. We're just about getting the title on our tongues, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the home groups are going through this. And one of the concepts that we come across in this book is the concept of the wall. Now, I'm not talking about a wall of snow. And we're not talking about the wall that may or may not be built on the border between the USA and Mexico. This is nothing to do with that, nothing to do with politics. So disclaimer, okay, don't get jump up and down about polit- political comments because there aren't any. It's not that wall. It's a metaphorical wall. And the wall, when we speak of it metaphorically, is something that comes along in our lives that's probably unexpected and probably unpleasant. We're going along, life is reasonably peaceful, and then wham, something hits us. It might be death. It might be sickness. It might be divorce. It might be redundancy. It could be a health thing. It could be a breakup of relationship. It could be the kids moving out. Although that's slightly not quite the same thing. Normally, when we think of the wall, we are thinking of adverse circumstances that hit us because we're in a fallen world. Okay? That's what we're thinking about. So then when we talk about the wall, we're talking about loss. And one of the products of loss is grief. Usually we refer to grief when we're talking about people who have died, and that is true. But grief is also a response to any other form of loss. It could be a loss of income. It could be a loss of status when you retire. You are no longer sir whatever, or, or the boss, or the manager, you are, who are you? You've lost that status. Who am I? It's loss, grief. So we're just going to try to apply it to things that happen in life and see what we can learn from this story of Lazarus and Mary 
and Martha. So here we have a family in crisis. Lazarus is at death's door. And Jesus is called because he is friends with this family. He knows them. He loves them. Now one of the most important things to remember at the beginning of any consideration of things that go wrong, suffering that we undergo, is that there is a factor X. A natural event. In this case, Lazarus is ill and he dies. But God's glory is the factor X. Okay, And this is why Jesus says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified. Whatever happens to us in this world, there is an element, there is a dimension to do with God and his glory. Somewhere in the Bible it talks about the way in which a certain person would glorify God in their death. Whatever happens to us, there can be glory ascribed to God. And that's what it's all about, the glory of God. So when we talk about suffering, we obviously focus on the physical and our feelings and our emotions and what's going on around us in the natural physical world, but there is more than meets the eye. Jesus has got an agenda. God has got an agenda, and that is the glory of God, and we can see it even in suffering. That might be counterintuitive. The suffering may or may not end well. It's easy when things end well and somebody recovers, or we get another job, or we get married again, or, or something. Glory to God, praise the Lord, it's worked out, but what about when it doesn't work out, when they die, when we lose, when we get into bad debt, when we divorce, God's glory can still be applied. God is still there. God is still working, still seeking the glory of God in our suffering. And so we need to factor this in to our lives and events. What is God doing? What does he want to do? Because we're very clearly, Jesus has got an agenda here with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. It's for, God's, it's for glory uh, that this is happening. This will not end in death. And in this case, it didn't. And we have to accept the fact that there is an element of mystery. Verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? They immediately got up and went to see him. Well, let's get there quick. Let's go and see. No. He stayed where he was for two days. Uh? How callous, how unloving, how uncaring. Jesus had just had this news from these people and he loved, and he does nothing about it for two days. But he's got something going on. He knows what he's going to do. And, uh, but there is an element of mystery here. And whenever we suffer loss, we naturally say, why? And we quite often say it to God. It's a good person to say it to. So many people in the Bible say, why God? Whether you're Job, whether you're David, all sorts of people. Why is this happening? Good question to ask, but keep your ears open. Your spiritual ears. Okay? Um, Both the ladies said to him, Lord, if you'd been there, he wouldn't have died. No pressure then. (laughs) Um, But the sense that I pick up from this is not an accusatory, why weren't you here? How dare you allow us to suffer like this by losing our brother? To me, it's more of a loving, oh Lord, if only you'd been here, you could have spoken into his life. And, of course, Jesus thinks, okay, just stay tuned. I'm going to. (laughs) But sometimes there may be that sense of, oh, goodness me, where's God in this? Is he waiting two days before he comes? 
metaphorically speaking. Well, if he is, he's got a good reason. And it's to do with the glory of God. And it's to do with us appreciating and growing in that. But there is mystery. But why? Lord, if you've been here, whenever we have a wall event, God is wanting to disciple us. It is not, does not have to be dead spiritual time. God can be doing something in us through the wall that, is, that, we're, that we've hit. It's a prime time for that because he's got our attention. So we move on and we have this thing about sleeping or dead. And then eventually Jesus says to his disciples, okay, I said he was asleep, I'm going to wake him. Lazarus is dead. A few weeks ago, one of my grandchildren sent me a text and it was a reminder to bring something when we went to their home. And it was a, in capital letters, don't, period, forget, period, to, period, bring the whatever it was, period, or dot else. <laughs> To the old fogies. I speak quite true, quite true. And she was just wanting to emphasize that she wanted us to remember something. Actually, it's a good job she said that because otherwise we probably would have forgotten it. Because we're old fogies and we do things like that. As you get old, you know, the old grey cells just they disappear. Um, and here is Jesus saying, Lazarus period, is, period, dead. Verse 14. Now, here, Mary and Martha, I know he's not with Mary and Martha at this precise moment, he's with his disciples. But that needs to be applied to Mary and Martha. I'm really sorry, Mary and Martha. It is stark, it is final, it is painful, it is non-negotiable, it is brutal, it is unavoidable, but it's essential that you take in the fact that Lazarus is dead. And when you come to a wall, we need to hit that wall head on. Because it's dealing with reality. It's a crucial stage of going through the wall. Lazarus was not just asleep, he was dead. Okay, something special happened. But when we hit walls, do we sometimes try to gloss over them, minimize them, explain them away, fool ourselves that it really isn't that bad. We anesthetize ourselves with activity to drown out the pain. We can't face it. We try to go around the wall. We try to go under it. We try to climb over it. But we can't actually address the fact that we need to go through it and face the painful fact of whatever it is that's happened. We may say, oh, well, so many people are worse off than me. It can't be that bad. Oh, we have to accept God's punishment. Oh, no, don't give me that. That's nonsense. It must have been God's plan. Well, there's things happen that are not in God's plan. Okay, he is ultimately sovereign. God does not sit up there sending out accidents, disasters, illness, divorce. He's not like that. Um, I remember in my church in the UK, there was a lady who sadly was divorced. She got divorced. Her husband didn't like the fact that she was a Christian and didn't want to know. And the divorce, you know, all the drawn-out pain and the hassle of getting to the divorce, then it happened. This lady is a very spiritual, sensitive lady, and she couldn't get it out of her heart and mind that, well, perhaps he will come back to Lord and come back to me. And it, to me, it got to the point where, from my perspective as a pastor, she was actually keeping her life on hold, hoping and waiting and praying, because she's a Christian, that her husband will come back. Her ex-husband, 
And sometimes we have to come to the point and say, look, I am not, it's happened. Okay, if God wants to do a miracle, fantastic. I'm open to that. Meanwhile, I'm going to live in the reality of what's happened. And the reality of what's happened was she was divorced and he was not in her life anymore. And she needed to face that fact uh, and hit that wall rather than try to sort of lessen it and say, perhaps you'll come back, so I won't do this, I'll wait, I'll hope. No, get on with your life. Face the wall of whatever it is that's happened has happened. Don't gloss over it. Don't just get into guilt. Don't just get into fear, which is easy to say. Some of you, most of you know that we lost one of our sons uh, 20 years ago or so, in the, nearly 20 years ago, in the UK. Uh, he died. He took his own life. Um, we went to, I might have said this before, we went to a group for people who had lost children, whether it's adult children or young children, called Compassionate Friends. They do a good job. Not a Christian group. We went to it once. Um, And, you know, you share your experience if you want to. Uh, A bit like grief share, I guess, although it wasn't so much of a structured program. And it became obvious that a lot of the other people who were there were trying to cling on to some sort of ongoing relationship. Oh, I go in their room and... I feel that he's there. Or when I go climb up a mountain, I can feel this presence of my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife. Um, uh, Or when I hear the birds singing, I think, oh, there, there she is. It's almost as if they're sitting on my shoulder. And they're trying to me to cling on, to manufacture some sort of relationship which just isn't there. It's painful, But if you're clinging on to something which is not real, you're not going to progress through that wall, and which is why they had to face the fact that Lazarus is dead, period. And we need to face the fact that whatever it is has happened, it's it's irreversible, uh, or, or whatever. And until we do that, we're not going to get through that wall. That's why it says at the end there in red, Hitting that wall and feeling that pain is essential. Now, nobody's just wanting to be a glutton for suffering and pain, but pain is a result of grief, and grief is a result of loss. We feel pain. That's how we're wired. And it's healing to go through that. Now, I know it's easy to say this stuff, and I know it's not very easy, difficult, not very easy in practice. I know. I've been there. In the book that we study in these groups, in the workbook, they talk about Queen Victoria... Some of you have come across this. Now, Queen Victoria was a very noble queen. She was, I think, one of the youngest queens. She ascended to the throne in 1837, and she died in 1901, so she had quite a good innings. Her husband, Prince Albert, died in his 40s, quite young. And apparently, Queen Victoria kept everything as it was. She had a photograph of him on the bed every night, she had his clothes set out every day. Of course, she could do this because she got servants and everybody to run around and do all this. And she was living in unreality, and she withdrew from public life. And I wasn't around then, not quite. Um, but <laughs> apparently, the common people say, where's our queen? Where's our queen? She's, we never see her. We need a queen. And I think her advisors prevailed on her to get back into a measure of public life. But she never really recovered that's the right word, from losing her husband. Terribly sad. Now, losing a partner is an enormous blow, of course. 
And it's easy to say, oh, well, she shouldn't be like that. And I know it's easy to say that, not so easy when you're in the middle of it. But for some reason, she couldn't let go. She couldn't let go. And letting go is sometimes a part of this. We need to face that wall, we need to feel that pain, and unless we do, we're not going to find it so easy to move on. So part of life is embracing loss and pain because it's part of our, our life. It's, it's part of this, 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 this creation that's fallen. It's not easy, it's not simple, it's not quick, but it's important. And so when Jesus said Lazarus is dead, that's a really significant statement. Now, Jesus said he'd fallen asleep. And then so the disciples said, oh, well, he'll wake up again. No problem, no, no trouble. So then, why did Jesus deliberately mislead them? That's one of the questions I want to ask. Why did Jesus say he's fallen asleep, and they, knowing that the disciples are going to misunderstand? Well, why didn't you just let them have it straight on? I don't know. I'm sure the our boss here was, was got half a dozen answers because he knows everything. Um, but, but us poor Brits are a bit, you know, we're struggling here. <laughs> but then Jesus talks about this. I am the resurrection and the life. Because he'd just been told, oh, I know he will rise at the last day. There was a belief in resurrection amongst the Jews the Pharisees and some of the Jews. But then Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. It's, you know, it's not something out there. It's here. You're looking at it. You're looking at me. With me, there is resurrection. With me, there is life. Stay tuned for a few more years and you see how it's going to work out. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. But if you believe in me, you'll never die. Hang on a minute, Lord. You'll live even though you die, but if you believe in me, you won't even die. What are you talking about? Well, Jesus is talking about two sorts of death. One is the fallen asleep physical death. The heart stops, brain dead, dead, normal as we understand it. We, go, we all go through that. We do die once, unless Jesus returns first. But then there is, you will never die, the second death, spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. That we do not have to go through. We only need to die once, and that is natural, physical death. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, I am the resurrection, I am the life, you will not see this separation from God. You will not see the second death. It will not touch you because it's going to touch me on your behalf. Wow. And so we will never die in the sense of being obliterated, in the sense of being separated from God. If you believe in Jesus, that is our hope. And it focused in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus injects life into a place of death. He injects hope. He injects resurrection. He injects eternity. You're looking here at one man and his two sisters. Jesus is thinking big picture as well. Eternity, salvation, the world, the big picture. 
But the thing is, although Jesus' picture is so big, there is a place for each of us on an individual basis in it. We are not cast aside, we are not lost or forgotten in the rush. We only die once, Nashua Lazarus. But, hang on a minute, let's think about this natural death and spiritual death. And Jesus came back from the dead, he had a resurrection body. What about Lazarus? Now when he came back from the dead, I don't think he had the resurrection body because he would have lived forever. And he doesn't say, but I'm speculating that he was resurrected with a little r. In other words, he was physically healed. Some might say he was resuscitated. Not just CPR, he was dead. But physically he came back to life. But give him a few years and he snuffs it again. As far as we know, there's nothing that tells us that he was taken straight up to heaven because he had his resurrection body. I believe he only had his physical body still, but it's a bit of a sidebar to what we're talking about. But that's an interesting point. That's why the word probably was, you, in, you only die once, because Lazarus died twice. I wonder what was happening during those four days. We won't go there for Lazarus. Interesting. But then... When Jesus has said these tremendous words about, I am the resurrection and the life, what does he then say? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Oh, I believe that you're the Messiah, the one. Yes, I do believe, said the sisters. And what we believe about life, death, events, ourselves and God has an enormous effect on how or if we go through our walls. If we have a distorted view of God that is punishing us, that will not help us to go through the wall. If we blame God and say, God, how dare you let that happen to me? How dare you let my loved one die? Then we're not looking at God right. We're, we're still in the centre of things, not God. So that's the $64,000 question. Do you believe this? Perceptions are so important. You see, God wants us to wrestle through to a place of peace and acceptance and life. Now we're still, we haven't got to the tomb yet in the story. We move on. And so Jesus and the disciples eventually go to where the family are. And we have this fantastic verse. Jesus was moved and he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, you shouldn't have too much trouble memorizing it. But try to get the truth of what, what's behind that, the context, what's going on. Hang on a minute. Why did Jesus weep? Because weep in, indicates sorrow and pain. But he knew what he was going to do. He knew it was going to end all right. He was, going to, he was about to get Lazarus out of the tomb. Yeah. So we can only speculate. But my speculation is this. <coughs> Jesus was the one through whom this world and people were created. It was all good. And when he made Adam and Eve and the creation, it was very good. But here is Jesus walking amongst this creation that was in, he was instrumental in bringing into being, which has been degraded, which has been afflicted with sin and death and disobedience and alienation. And it's, I wonder whether he was just overcome because he knew what it should have been like in the first place. He knew what it was like before sin entered and infected everything. And I wonder whether this was part of it as well. And seeing this, the hearts of these poor people having to suffer grief which was never intended. I wonder whether that was something to do with why 
it moved him so deeply and he wept. That speculation is not in scripture. If it's not in scripture, we can speculate, but hold it lightly. You may have other thoughts. That's absolutely fine. Well, that's my two cents worth, or hate is worth. Jesus was perhaps overcome with the bigger picture of the fallen creation. Yes, he knew he was going to redeem it, but to see the pain that was going on all the time broke his heart. That's our God. That's our God. The God who is moved and who weeps. When we weep, Jesus weeps. He entered into their suffering. He's not changed. He may not be physically present, but he's still the same. When we're at the place of loss or death, Jesus is there. I've proved that in my own experience. He is there in a special way. When he, I've, I've proved for myself, I can't prove it to you, but when there are extenuating circumstances, God takes extraordinary measures. And I experienced that around the time of our son's death. Maybe some of you had through, through grief and loss, whether it's death or some other war. God is there with you. And even when we cry out, why, 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 where are you? There's something of God's presence there. There's something of God's glory to be seen. So they go to the tomb. Take away the stone. But Lord, natural response. And Jesus has to remind us, ah, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Just a gentle, hang on. I know what I'm doing. Do we trust God with our walls or not? Do we trust God with our walls? Could I envisage letting go of this and just giving it to God and say, God, what is for your glory in this? Because that's what I want. I wonder. Do we trust God or not? Is our God the one who weeps with us or who stands in judgment? So Jesus says, take away the stone, and they do that. And then he calls Lazarus out. Lazarus, come out! Now, you know, silly to say, but Lazarus had a choice. I was a bit stupid. You know, who's going to sit there? But he could have said, well, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm quite happy here. It's quiet, peaceful. You know, I can, now the stone's gone, I can see out, see the view. Um, no, thanks, then. thanks, but no thanks. Nah, it's crazy. But there's a challenge, metaphorically speaking. There may be a time when God says to you, come out, move on. I've got something for you. I want to do something here. Are you listening? Are you up for that? You have a choice. And metaphorically, sometimes because it's so scary, perhaps we tend to stay in the place of metaphorical death rather than stepping out in faith into the place of metaphorical life and Jesus is not the resurrection and the death he's the resurrection and the life Jesus is full of life and he parts that so Lazarus come out and maybe in our walls we get to a point where God speaks to us now this is not repeat not underline period the person who comes to you and said you should have got over that by now it's two, see, two years since your husband died. Come on, pull you, get yourself together. You should be over it by now. You know, just don't sock them in the mouth, but I know you want to, and that's very understandable. That's not what I'm talking about. Some people who have never hit a big wall are incredibly insensitive. I think I said this at our home group 
the other day, there's one rule about grief, and that is there are no rules in grief. And if you're still struggling in two years' time, you're still struggling in two years' time. And don't let anybody tell you to pull yourself together. Don't let anybody tell you that you should have got over them by now. Get on with your life. Get married again. Try not to sock them on the nose, but just be gracious. (laughs) And if you have never faced a serious wall, one, you probably will at some time, two, be very sensitive to people who are in that situation because it's so easy to say something inappropriate unloving, uncaring with the best of motives you want that, you're so frustrated can't they see that they need to step out into life again what's what's wrong with them they've lost their partner, that's what's wrong with them and that's such a blow or it might be a different sort of it might be a divorce, it might be a health thing whatever it may be be very sensitive to those who are in the middle of a wall. But when you're in the wall, if it's God who in your heart you discern says, okay, next step, move on, change, then, like Lazarus, come out. Might be scary, but come out. Because it's God. We have a choice. And remember that Jesus hit the biggest wall there ever was and ever will be. He he hit the wall of sin and death and hell, literally. We can only go to heaven because Jesus tasted hell, because the wages of sin is death. And that song, remember that song we sung? He wears my death. And I thought about that. Well, my sin, I think it was, wasn't it? He wears my sin. He bears my shame. It's almost as if Jesus got our coat on, our sin, and put it on himself. He wears my sin. He bears my shame he did he took that sin and so that we might become the righteousness of God and he gives us a coat which is his righteousness so we wear his righteousness whoa that's fantastic I don't deserve that because the sin is mine yeah that's our God that's our God he's full of grace he's full of life He is the resurrection. He is the life. He gets your wall. Okay? He gets your wall. Other people may or may not fully, but God gets your wall. So be very careful to listen for him and see in one sense if you feel he's saying something. He will draw alongside. He will weep with you. And there may be a time when he says, come out. Move on. Not harshly. But he gets your wall. Okay. Life through the wall. I want to read something from the book that we're studying in the home groups. By the way, if you're not in a home group, you're missing something. Have a word with Kathy Nywinning and she'll try and put you in touch with a home group. It's a great fun. Um, the author of our book, who is Peter Scazzero, something like that, quotes a guy called Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. Now, we all know who Richard Rohr is. We've all read his books, you know, so we know the guy completely. (laughs) And he wrote this. This was particularly with men in mind, but it applies to all of us who hit walls and who go through a fallen life, and we're all doing that. Five bullet points for you to remember, not just as a man or a woman uh, either, although it was addressed particularly to men. One... (coughs) Life 
is hard. We probably don't need to be told that because we probably are fully aware that there are things which are not very easy. If we haven't, if that awareness hasn't come to us yet, okay, it will. Life is hard. Second one sounds rather strange. You are not that important. This is not God's view of you. This is you in this world, in all human achievement and what you do. You're not that important. You're not the centre of the universe. Your life is not about you. Again, you're not the centre of the universe. God is. Okay? And if you think that you're the bee's knees, you're the, 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 the person who's going to put everything right, get over it. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. Now, some of us might be fully aware of that in different ways. You are not in control. And any way we try to sort of control others or feel that we got this life sus and everything's fine because I'm managing it well, it won't last long probably. The last one is... Sorry? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. <laughs> the last one of these points is you're going to die. Once. You're going to die. All this noble stuff that we want to do and how I want to be a good influence and look what I've done and look at my achievements and look at my family and look at this car I've got and all this stuff. Whoa, fantastic. You're going to die. You can't take it with you. Perspective. Getting things into perspective. Cutting things human ambition, human pride, human greed. Cutting it down to size. It's not about you. It's not about you. You're going to die. Once. Physically. And only once physically. So that's just a doorway to the second life. But life through the wall, linked with that, the writer himself lists five things, which are four things, which I've got for you here. This is how Pete Scarazio sees life through the wall, as you perhaps begin to emerge and get through it and build, rebuild your life. We have sense a greater level of brokenness. You know, all this human pride and stuff, how marvellous I am. Pow! Something hits you. Okay, maybe I'm not that significant after all. A greater appreciation for holy unknowing. Mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the effects for me of going through a serious wall is that the truths, the basic truths of the gospel to me have become even firmer in my heart and my mind. That's why they, that's why I, I fall apart when we're singing, reading stuff like that and singing some of the songs like we were singing this morning because they're declaring truth. That truth is essential, it's unnegotiable and it's life-giving. It is life itself and it is hope. And that's what we need, hope. But along with a firmer grasp on basic doctrine, what I found is there's a whole load more of, yeah, negotiable, flexible, it's not a question of doctrine, it's just style or habit or tradition. Yeah, well, you know, hold that loosely. So the non-negotiable the negotiable things, the flexible things, there's far more to me that's flexible and far less that is set in stone. And that's one of the things that I've found, a greater appreciation of unchanging truth about life, death, resurrection. The wall is not the ultimate reality. 
The wall is not your ultimate reality. There is something greater, more permanent, and better. And the third one, a deeper ability to wait for God. Our dependence on God and awareness of him can increase. It can increase when we've been through a wall. To wait for God, not to rush ahead, but to listen for him, to wait, to to be worshippers of God. And a greater detachment. A greater detachment from the things of this life which don't last, which will go. That's what I mean by that. Things of this world perhaps diminish in significance as things above become more meaningful. Now, you all know probably that I like classic cars. And I have a Christ car, a British sports car called a TVR that hardly anybody's heard of, which is rather nice. Uh, I like that car. But, and if I had to get rid of it, I would miss it. But in the end, it's, eh, it's a lump of plastic. It's glass fibre. It's not, not metal. Well, it's got a metal chassis, but the body's glass fibre. If it has to go, yeah, I'll miss it, but it's a car. Perhaps I'll get another one. Because I remember in the UK, I had a few classic cars, and... Um, I was having to sell some of them, or one of them, because we were moving over here, and I had to get rid of all of them. Oh, terrible. Um, And somebody said, oh, you'll really miss that car. I hope it goes to a good home. And I said, well, yeah, I don't care where it goes, as long as they give me the money. (laughs) You know, they can put it in the crasher if they want to, as long as I've got the cash in my hand. They can do what they like. Yeah, it's my car, I've enjoyed it, but I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm not that bothered. A greater detachment. We have things of this world which are good and are okay, but we're not over-attached to them, I hope. And going through a wall means you get this broader perspective of perhaps regarding physical things, material things, as well they're nice, but, you know, ultimately, I can't take them with me. So, does it matter... Looking at these four issues here, does it matter if we do things in church this way or that way? We have the notices in the middle, the notices at the end. Well, who cares? Does it matter what people think of you or me? Who cares? This is part of going through the wall, being flexible about things which are not doctrinal in our lives, which are not certainties, which are not essentials. How important is it, though, to adhere to the central truth of the Bible? Absolutely important. Totally. But does it matter? Does my reputation matter? Couldn't be bothered. I'm not answerable to you. You're not answerable to me. Apart from he's my boss, so I'm answerable to him. (laughs) Um, And accountable for what I do. But do do I get very fussy about my reputation? Jesus became of no reputation. Do I have to hold on to some human temporary status? You know, I am this, I, was a, I am a school teacher, I was a school teacher, I was a full-time pastor, how many part-time? It's a downward slope. Um, you know, status. What is status? What is my status? Who am I? And when we go through a wall, questions like this are thrust upon us, and it's good to think them through. Now we're heading towards the end. And we might just have a hint of an opportunity of seeing if anybody wants to share a wall experience. Very briefly. So think about that. Finally, life through the 
That's what we looked at. There we are. Some questions and some final thoughts. What do you believe? Do you believe this? Jesus said to the sisters when he talked about him being the resurrection and the life that, that we rise again. Do you believe this? What do you believe? What is your perception about life, events, self, God and my place in the world? Important. Mingling the spiritual with the physical. The glory of God. You are capable, you and I are capable of glorifying God by how we react to walls and how we react to other people who are struggling with walls. Mingle the spiritual with the physical. There is a physical agenda. There is a spiritual agenda of the glory of God. And this brings hope because God is involved in our walls. I can tell you that there is life after a wall. And some of other people could stand up and say the same thing. There is life after a wall, if you can find it. It's not easy. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was straightforward. I didn't say it was quick. I didn't say it was obvious, but it's there. And there is a life for you after your wall. Because we never get to the point, and I've, so I've said this before, where God is scratching his head saying, oh, crumbs, what's happened? What are we going to do with him now? And it's beyond the economic salvage, better beam him up. Yeah. God never gets to the point where he's scratching his head, trying to think of where we go from here. He is with us, he is there, there is life after a fall. Metaphorically, don't stay in the tomb. If God calls you to move on, move on. If God calls you to change, change. And the obvious one, don't need to say it, don't cut yourself off from others. Now, I know that I said that's finally, but really finally. (laughs) (laughs) There may be times when we have to sit down and say, okay, where am I at with this, this thing that I did not welcome, I did not want? It's been a pain. I've found it very difficult. My life's been on hold. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where God is. Maybe there's a time to sit down and say, okay, God, where are we with this? Where are you going? Where am I going? What is my life? Sometimes I believe, and this might seem a bit strange, when we're weak, there can be an element of spiritual oppression because we have an enemy, and if he sees that we're struggling and are weak and are in pain, he might throw some stuff at us. And if you discern, hang on, there's something going on here, rebuke it, speak against it. You may want to ask other people to stand with you in that. But sometimes we may think, hang on, this is not just physical, there is something spiritual going on here, um, which is not from God. Share it, pray about it. Battle it. And I like this one, don't be defined by your wall. Okay? When you suffer a a wall experience, a very serious one, sometimes like Queen Victoria, she sadly seemed to get stuck into that identity of the the grieving widow and couldn't rise out of that. Okay, Now that will have an enormous impact on you, but don't be defined. I will not be defined by the wall I've been through. It's a big part of my life. It still causes me pain because that's how we're wired. But I will not let it dominate me. I will not be defined by it. And that sometimes requires some talking to yourself about this. Um, maybe other asking others. Yes, it's a big part of me, but it is not the total, totality of me. That's very important. And the final question, really, 
reflect again, we've asked is, what sort of God do we have? What sort of God do we have? Is it a God who inflicts us with suffering and doesn't care? Or is it the God who walks with us and weeps, the man on the cross, wearing our sin, bearing our shame? He gets your wall. Now, we've got a few minutes. Sorry, two? <laughs> few. Uh, this is totally impromptu. If there is anyone who has been through a wall recently or is going through a wall, and there's one thing that you'd like to share that you have found encouraging in your wall experience. Now is the time to stand up and come and share it. You've got half a minute each. Just one thing that you have found, and if not, we will close with some notices. Anybody just want to share? I know a sprung is on you. One thing that anybody would like to share from their wall experience they've been through recently or are going through of God's goodness or that, where God has proved himself or something that you found positive. If not, anybody? Going, going. Oh, somebody's on their feet. Go on, Jason. So, both ends of the wall. Over 20 years ago, um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and I was really mad. I was mad at God. I was like, why, why do I have this thing that's going to be with me for the rest of my life? So that was that side. That's the side that you could be drawn to, that weakness. My father passed away almost three months ago. Completely the opposite. It was expected. It wasn't wanted, clearly. But it was expected. And I felt strength. I felt his arms around me. I can't speak for anyone else in my family. I can only speak for what I felt. But to not let it define you like I did 20 years ago. I was just angry. I was upset. I was mad. I held a grudge. Now, through being older and learning, let him control. All the things in that list that you just spoke about, those five things in that list of four, it's so true. And I think you have to go through it before you realize it. You won't, because I tell my kids, how can you know? If you don't know, you don't know. Until you know, then you'll know. <laughs> you know? Hey Amen, that was great. Ted, okay. We might have time for a super quick one more after Ted, because Ted's going to be super quick as well. Linda, okay. Um, Mine's nowhere near Crohn's disease, nor losing a child, nor anything like that. Um, the wall that I'm actually working through right now um, is my job in the city I work for. Um, everybody has been praying for me and praying for the city, and we really do need it. Um, but the one thing um, that is helping me through it, I, Max Licato just put out a book of, um, I think it's called Faith? Oh, Insearchable Hope, sorry. And uh, there's one story that I'll put through to you guys if you haven't read the book. Um, a gentleman gets put into prison in Russia about the 1940s or 1930s um, for preaching the Bible. Started out with his family. He was a two-day walk from the church. Um, 
people heard him talking about God. So then the neighbors came and it went from 40 to 60 to 80 to 200 to 400. Uh, people couldn't even fit in the house. And the, the uh, soldiers came in and beat him. And as he was walking out, one of the soldiers, the lady said that you just touched a man of God and um, you're going to die. Three days later, the soldier died. Um, I think that's a God thing. He was put into prison 12 years. Every morning he woke up and sang one hymn. Um, he, they tried to get him to rebuke God. Sorry, this is a real, sorry, I'm trying to get this through fast. They tried to get him to rebuke God. Um, 12 years later, they, they got him to say he would because they told him that his family was dead. Um, his family felt that on their heart and they started praying for him. He literally heard them. He said he heard that his family and he knew they were okay. He went the next morning to sign the, the thing for rebuking God. He said he wasn't going to do it because he knew his family was fine. They brought him out to kill him in the middle of the prison. And 12,000 prisoners started singing the song that he sang every day. So I have not been put into prison for 12 years. I am leaning on God, and I hope he gets me through this wall. Amen. Thank you. Linda, last one. First of all, I hate being up here, but my heart was pounding really hard in my chest, and Pastor Roy said, if that was happening, it was because God wanted you to talk. So anyway, I don't know if I can do it in less than a minute, but I'll try quick. Anyway, my biggest wall I faced was when my brother was murdered, and it took me maybe three years to go through that, and going through the murder trial and all the other things just kind of complicated it, and I really fell into a big depression, and I didn't know how to move forward, and it took me a long time to start figuring out, but... Anyway, to cut it short, God started putting it on my heart that I needed to talk and tell my story. And so I did that. I spoke at ladies' conferences. And each time I was able to put it into words and share it, God healed me a little bit more and brought me a little farther through that wall. And as you know, today I help lead the grief share group here at the church. And I just see it as such a success story and how God used my pain and my suffering to reach out and help other people. And it's just, I don't know, I don't know where I wanted to go with it, but just that, mm, you know, it's just kind of, I look back, and of course I would never chose that circumstance, I would never, I still would rather have my brother here than be here, mm. but I can see how God has helped me walk through that wall, and despite how challenging and difficult it was, he was with me all the way and brought me through it to stand here. Amen. So, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's great. That's great. Let's pray, and then Tim will do the notices and things. Father, thank you that you are with us each day of our lives. Sometimes we experience things that we don't welcome, we don't like, they're not pleasant. And Lord, we thank you that you walk through those times with us. Thank you for what the the personal testimony we heard from these three friends this morning. Pray that you'll bless them in their lives. And we pray that each of us might just know you walking with us day by day. For those of us, Lord, who are facing walls of whatever sort, loss, whatever it may be, Lord, we reaffirm our trust in you. We choose to believe that you're not the God who wags a finger and is condemnatory, but you're the God who weeps with us. So we just ask that you'll walk with us, and we ask that you'll call us out of the tomb when the time is right. Lord, be with us today. Take us home safely, and may we just glorify you in whatever we do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim. I'm going to invite the ushers to come up, and while they're coming up, I'm going to ask Don...
to come up real briefly. He's going to pray for the offering, and he's going to give a brief announcement about next week. 30 seconds brief. The penalty, I I didn't know I was praying. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for the privilege of being here in your presence this morning with a body of believers where we can come together to lift up your name, to worship you, and acknowledge that you are God and you are worthy. And Father, as we come together now just to uh, present our offerings, Lord, let that truly be an act of worship, Lord, as uh, we give to you for your sake, um, that your name would be lifted up, that you would use these gifts, Father, um, for your sake, to reach the world, to um, enable us to do a better job to proclaim your kingdom. Thank you, Father, and I ask that your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm here to, uh, you guys can go. Uh, my brief announcement, just some clarity. Next week, we're going to be hosting a luncheon with the pastors. That is not an all-church luncheon. Um, we, we'd love to have that. We're going to do some of those. But this is for anyone who is part of our, or who has come to our church, even if you come, if anybody comes next week for the very first time. If you've been here for a short period of time, you haven't yet connected, you haven't had a time to ask questions, to meet our pastors, um, for anyone who's relatively new to the church. Some people, we haven't done this for quite a while, so some people may have been here for a year or more. But if you're not feeling like you're part of the family yet, you have some questions about the church, you'd like to know, um, this is for you. For come together, we're going to meet downstairs right afterwards. We'll have lunch together. The pastors will be there. Uh, I think one or two of our elders will be there and a couple people from our connecting team. Um, it's just an opportunity for you to, uh, to just get to know us, to find out if you want to be part of this family or if you've already decided to ask, have some questions answered. As I look around, I see there's not a whole lot of folks who are new this morning. So I count on the rest of you if you know some of the people who've been new, if you got a, if you had a chance to connect to them, call them, let them know, encourage them to stay next week. Um, we'll be making the announcement again next week and, and pray. We really hope that God will use this. We're so thankful that so many new folks have been coming out visiting, and we want you to feel like you're part of this family, that you belong here, and this is just an opportunity to help you know that. So if you are here, please sign up on the afterwards for that, and uh, if you have any questions, see me or Angela. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, last couple announcements. Budget forms are still in the back. Reviews are due back by next Sunday. That's the 17th. Kenya, if you're here and you're going on the Kenya trip, it is important that you meet today following the service. Um, very important. Uh, HCS Fish Fry is coming up. That's uh, on Friday, this coming Friday. Uh, it's to benefit the school. If you want to order tickets, you can call the school um, tickets are 15 for adults, I think 10 for kids. Uh, all the stuff that's up on the thing, that's what you get with it. If you don't like fish and you like chicken, you can get chicken. If you don't like fish or chicken, get the vegetables. So there's, there's something for just about everybody. There's other bulletin uh, announcements in the bulletins. Derek, thank you this morning for reminding us that no matter what our reality is, that God is still bigger. And we invite you back next week. Have a great day. Drive safely.